Hey everybody, this is James Intracasso letting you know that we got some awesome audio from Wade Rocket. It is all of the Pelgrane Press panels from Gen Con, so check it out. We've got some good stuff going. This is a beginning that we are putting on top of all of them. Thank you so much to Wade and the people at Pelgrane for giving us this audio. All right, without further ado, here is the panel. So, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the uh, swords, uh, Spies, Swords, and Shoggoths uh, State of the Pelgrane panel. Uh, we are here to tell you everything that is uh, new with Pelgrane Press. As the sound of clanking metal suggests, there may be some, uh, some gloating involved at some point. Uh, so uh, let's all introduce ourselves. I am a frequent Pelgrane freelancer, Robin D. Laws. You may know me from such designs as the Gumshoe System, uh, the Esoteris, Ash and Stars, Hillfolk, and uh, all sorts of <coughs> various sundry things, which we will get to. Uh, let's do quick introductions, and then we'll go back through the panel. So, Sure. I'm Kevin Culp, a freelancer. I wrote Time Watch and was a contributing officer on the Book of Changing Years and Beyond Enemy t- Behind Enemy Times. And my name is Rob Hainso. I'm a co-author of 13th Age, do the line development for that, and uh, sometimes design games like Big Trouble and Little China for other companies without including Ken's favorite Six Demon Bag. Just saying. Yeah. Uh, I'm Kenneth Height, uh, designer for Pelgrane Press, uh, most recently of Trail of Cthulhu and Knight's Black Agents, and most, most recently, uh, designer and co-author of the Dracula Dossier, the director's handbook of which won Product of the Year. <laughs> um, I'm Kat Tobin. I'm the co-owner and uh, managing director of Pelgrane Press. Um, so I do uh, most of the day-to-day production of all of our books. Uh, I'm very, very tired. <laughs> I'm Gertrude Hanrahan. I'm one of the writers of Pelgrane Press. I was working with Kevin Dracula Dossier. I did Stone Thief. I've done many other books. Oh, here you go. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I will speak up. Uh, I'm uh, Simon Rogers, uh, other owner of uh, Pelgrane Press, um, and I have been responsible. And you too could stand to speak up. Oh, okay. So yes, I do some publishing too. Uh, so I thought I'd start off by getting Cat uh, to summarize the uh, state of the Pelgrane, uh, looking back on the on the uh, year that has passed, and uh, giving some previews of the year to come. And uh, now you'll have to do an especially extra gloaty version of that <laughs> than we planned earlier. So now's yeah. where you tread people beneath your uh, uh, heels. Subtle yet powerful feet. Yes. Um, so in a, in a desperate attempt to avoid um, good girl syndrome, I have not <coughs> planned what I'm going to say at all. So excuse me. For good. Um, so we, we have had a pretty good year. Right, we won some awards. Um, the the main things I think for us as a company is that we've now mostly delivered on the Dracula dossier Kickstarter and mostly delivered on the Time Watch Kickstarter, which were both incredibly big projects for us that were that took up a lot of our time. Um, 
So the delivery of both of those means that we're now free to start working on other things. Um, so um, that's that's really taken up like the last year and a half or so of our of our resources in a big way. Um, and we've, we've released some other things as well. We've released a couple of new 13th Age things this year. So we've got the gorgeous GM screen. We've got the High Magic and Low Cunning, which is the Battle Scenes book. Um, and there's going to be more of that coming in over the rest of the year. So big upcoming things, I think, for us in 2016 and early 2017 um, are um, Cthulhu Confidential, uh, Gumshoe One-to-One, um, which is basically one player, one GM Gumshoe. So I presume Robin will oh, talk okay. a bit more about that um, in the future. Um, we've also got Cthulhu City, which Gar is working on. Um, so he'll probably talk a bit more about that. Um, and the next series of battle scenes, which Rob will probably talk about. Um, now, uh, you have a labor of love that came out at Dragon Meat, but is new for Gen Con, uh, mm -hmm. Seven Wonders. So why don't you talk about uh, the inspiration behind that and all of the awesome seven games in it that people should rush out and buy? Um, okay, I can do that. Um, so yes, Seven Wonders um, is basically an anthology of story games um, by uh, largely unpublished, apart from Lynn Hardy, who I don't know if is still here, um, largely unpublished writers who are all based in the UK. So it's kind of a, a real showcase of emerging uh, UK talent. Um, and they're all standalone story games, so they're designed to be picked up and played in a couple of hours. Um, the themes and topics range from you're a crew on board a ship about to go into a black hole and be the first team to experience what that's like. As you get closer, things start getting crazier and crazier. You have to make the decision ultimately whether your crew and your ship are going to go in. Um, and there's um, a game where you play adults in group therapy who, as children, all went to a shared magical world like the children in Narnia. Um, and the loss of that world when you're, when you're kicked out of it, basically, uh, means that has given you uh, psychological trauma. So you're in group therapy. It's, it's done entirely freeform. It's just purely narrative. There's no mechanics. It's just all talking through the issues that have um, arisen as a result of, of you losing your access to this magical world. So there's like an incredible breadth of, of stories, um, story games in this book. And... Yeah, it was a real labor of love. It was our first time kind of working with such very new authors. Um, and we're really, really proud of how it's turned out. It's, it's a great collection of books. We're getting great feedback from it. You should totally go and buy it. Uh, so, Kevin, speaking of uh, things that we've just done that we're going to brag about, Time Watch, Time has, Watch. has finally entered, come out of the time portal and arrived here at shelves at Gen Con along with its uh, adventure supplement, which is called... Uh, Behind Enemy Times. Behind Enemy yeah. Times. And the uh, cool uh, uh, Book of Smoke, uh, uh, Book of Ants format, uh, uh, sort of fiction inspiration companion volume, which is the Book of Changing Years. Right. Uh, so why don't you uh, tell us, uh, for those who are uh, unaware of their need to buy Time Watch, please inform sure. them of that. Sure. So the idea was I was actually playing... Uh, Knights Black Agents in Washington, D.C. And I walked out of that game, and I'm like, oh, my God, that was the best game. Like, I wish, remember the old game, Time Master? I wish that we could run a time travel game that played like Knights Black Agents does. And I said, wait, I could probably write that. Um, so, uh, Time Watch is an investigative time travel game where, at its core, you play really competent time cops from any point in history. From, you know, you could be a Neanderthal, you can be an uplifted ape if you wanted to be. Um, the, uh, you could be from the future or the past. 
and your job is to figure out what's been sabotaged <coughs> history. Um, not that I've been at all inspired by Ken and Robin and Ken's time machine, but uh, then go back and forth in time, solve and fix those problems. Uh, one of the things that I love about this game is that we've been able, well, most gumshoe games are really tightly focused, right? In Mutant City Blues, you're playing cops in a world of superheroes, primarily. We tried in Time Watch to get as many time travel to- tropes from, try saying that three times fast, uh, from a TV and from movies in as possible. So pretty much every time trick you've ever seen in a movie, you can do in that game. Uh, take preparedness, for instance, for those of you who know gumshoe, normally preparedness, you don't gear up in a gumshoe game, you roll, you see if you have it with you. But in Time Watch, you're a time traveler. So if you don't have a gun with you, you say, you know what, an hour from now, I'm going to go back in time and tape a gun underneath this table. And if you haven't looked under the table and you make your preparedness roll, you reach under the table and pull out the gun. So that sort of thing. One of the things I've been really delighted about is that for the Book of Changing Years, which is the Book of Ants, the Book of the Smoke style supplement, um, is that people were telling me that with all of time to play from, like, where do you start? And so I basically did a Wikipedia timeline, which is a history of time travel from the birth of the universe to the far future. Uh, which is basically 400 entries, all of which are a plot hook. So you can just flip open the book, scan, pick one, and build a game off of that. And the thing that I'm most proud of is we, of the 13 contributed authors who brought in fiction, I think 9 or 10 of them are my favorite female designers who contributed mission reports which both tell you a story and give you a feel for how a game is going to be played. And those are all interspersed amongst those, uh, the book as well. So is that all of the deliverables, deliverables for Time Watch? Or that, is, that is not, no. So we have uh, a GM screen coming out that's going to be included with a series of short time seeds, which are basically slightly longer, about 500 to 1,000 word time books to build missions around. We're going to end up publishing all of our uh, convention adventures that are written over the past two or three years. Uh, in a book called uh, The Valkyrie Gambit. Is that correct? Yeah, yep, exactly. And uh, hopefully more. I have the, a super, uh, a character sheet I just about to hit I'm really proud of. It's a single PDF, which has a pull-down bar where you can pull up all 17, um, 17 archetypes for different types of characters you can play. I actually got the original idea from the archetypes, in fact, from Feng Shui. Um, and so almost instantly you can build another character, save that character in the PDF, and build your own little library of the characters for your game all in one doc. Uh, so Gar, uh, tell us about Cthulhu City. Uh, Cthulhu City, the sort of high concept con- there. If you remember the movie Dark City? It's quite so dark, adding Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was fast. Yeah. Um, the city is still dark, though. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, there is this metropolis, a bit north of Boston, called Great Arkham. There are various neighborhoods in it. There's like you know the the, the Innsmouth docks down in the ocean. There's the uh, uh, the industrial district, the heart, the, like, the colonial heart, Old Arkham, Salamander Fields, uh, the like, you know, quaint little neighborhood of uh, Kingsport. Your characters find themselves in the city. They may might wake up there one day. They might have always lived there, but feel that something was wrong, that the city's history is somehow wrong, corrupt. <coughs> there are these massive, cyclopean black skyscrapers all over the city. The, what it does, the game does, is it sort of flips around some of the common tropes of Trail of Cthulhu. 
instead of the sort of cultists being underground and the mythos being a hidden force, <coughs> it's just it's just not in Cthulhu. It's much more present. It's and it's it's in charge. Like the city is ruled by a corrupt authorities. There's the Church of the Conciliator, which is the sort of state church. Your investigators are one step away from being hunted criminals. You've got to stay under the radar of the authorities while investigating the mythos and try and see either find a way out of the city, find out how the city came to be, has it like you know, intruded into our reality? Is our reality a dream? Is the city a dream? Are you all dreaming? Find out what's really going on without being you know, sacrificed by the city or arrested or like, you know, dragged away by the police. Uh, so, Ken, uh, now that Dracula is off your plate, Fall of Delta Green is on your plate, and you're in the middle of the writing process for that. Uh, so uh, uh, I think we can mostly assume that people know that Fall of Delta Green is the 1960s set gumshoe adaptation of the beloved uh, Delta Green uh, property from our pals at uh, Arc Dream. So what have you discovered in the course of your writing and research uh, that you didn't know about Fall of Delta Green that you now know, and it's in your manuscript or your notes? Uh, I Well, I haven't discovered anything yet about the fall of Delta Green that I didn't know, because the fall of Delta Green has been preordained since the first Delta Green thing, that they go into Cambodia, they're attempting right. to launch but, but a bomber in, raid. In italics, in italics, about your book. About my book. Yes. What, have you dis- what has appeared in your project that you weren't expecting? Uh, what's appeared in my project... Uh, that I wasn't expecting. So far, the thing that's appeared mostly is the um, uh, uh, Bureau of Defense Research, which is a real thing in the Library of Congress, or was a real thing in the 1960s. Now it's uh, the Bureau of National Research. But in 1960, it was changed from the Bureau of Air Research to the Bureau of Defense Research. And it began in World War II because it turned out the Library of Congress was the largest source of information on Japanese airplane designs. And so the Air Force, or the Air Corps at the time, sent in some specialists to sift through the entire Library of Congress looking for everything they could find out about Japanese aircraft. So that became the Bureau of Aeronautic Research, which became the Bureau of Air Research, which became the Bureau of Defense Research. By 1960, the whole Defense Department has got guys combing the Library of Congress on a need-to-know basis. And they're like, well, you you can't look at that. Yes, I can. Uh, This is so obviously a Delta Green cover operation that I'm amazed, and the best part of it is that uh, in 1970, which is the year Delta Green is officially disbanded by the Joint Chiefs, the staff of the Bureau of Defense Research is cut by two-thirds. So they had 300 guys going into 1960, uh, 1969. The end of 1970, it's down to under 100. And like, well, there you go. I've actually discovered Delta Green. Thanks so much. <laughs> now I'm going to die. <laughs> So how far along are you? Uh, the character generation is done. There may be uh, a second bite at that apple, depending on how uh, f- full and lush the rest of the manuscript winds up being, uh, because the basic structure is a life path structure. You go to your military service. Then you add on the template for whatever government agency you're in. If you're uh, in the 101st Airborne, you just are you know, still on active duty, so your military service is a bigger template. Uh, the thing that I would like to go back in and do if there's if there's a way to do it 
uh, in terms of space, is to list all of the insane nonsense that the federal government was getting up to in the 1960s as a thing that your character, oh yeah, I was involved in MK Ultra. I was feeding LSD to people to see if we could control their minds. Oh, I was involved in Operation Chaos trying to uh, go into the anti-war left and discover whether or not it was communist influenced. Oh yeah, I was involved in uh, Operation uh, Search, uh, which was the attempt to develop um, uh, 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 fortune tellers and astrologers and magicians as assets in foreign governments. Um, so that we could, by feeding them false horoscopes, change their foreign policy. So all this stuff is real stuff. It would just be nice to be able to list it in a table and give everyone a little slug of uh, ability points to go with it, as opposed to having to uh, accidentally drop it into conversation the way that I just did. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, Rob, you're uh, here to talk about the 13th Age line. Now, I gather there's a full 13th, or has been a full 13th Age. What's new with seminar, or no? Um... We no, not really. Okay. We've sort of like gone ahead and like just talked about it in our other panels a tiny little bit. So tell people about what's uh, new for Thirteenth Age and what's going to be new for Thirteenth Age in the year ahead. Okay, so the um, the newest Pelgrim products are the Thirteenth Age GM screen, which was a little while ago, but I found a lot of people haven't seen it. And one of the fun things about it is it's a little bit more. You know, calling it a screen is a screen and a resource GM's resource book and the map finally published in a nice fold-out version. So I've definitely had a bunch of people come up and sort of pick up one piece of it and be ready to buy it. And then I'm like, well, you know, there's also, when you buy that, you're also going to get that and that. And people are like, oh, well, now I'm really buying it. So that's worthwhile. And uh, Wade and Cal, the authors, uh, uh, won a Silver Any last night. And uh, that was uh, a lot of fun to pick up. And... uh, yeah, I don't, in Annie's process, I don't really know. I have this feeling that with, with Wade and Cal credited as the creators, I think that they weren't necessarily looking at the art, which makes me feel a little bad since so much of the, the product is Lee Moyer and Aaron McConnell doing an awesome picture of the three and their high priests, you know, invoking magic and then the, the map. So there's an element of like, I'm, I'm pretty psyched that all pieces of the, the uh, 13th age process won an award and uh, that Wade and Cal uh, pushed that through. I'm not a GM screen user um, until now. <laughs> so now, now I'm using it. And I find that it's uh, if you're designing, when you're designing things and you just want to go ahead and make up an adventure, even that has a lot of the information you need in one little place that you can go ahead and be just referring to, even just as a flashcard, a giant flashcard. Um, High Magic and Low Cunning is a book of adventures. While we're doing these, Cal Moore is doing this wonderful thing of all 13 icons providing drop-in adventures at every tier for them. You may have seen them all. If you've probably seen this book already, it's out. Simon did the wonderful thing he does, uh, and and Kat clearly must have approved it as well, Uh, uh, which is that, you know, when he publishes a book called Eyes of the Stone Thief and it's not color yet and he he doesn't like the fact that it doesn't look as cool as the other books, he he decides to colorize it at the last minute. And when (laughs) when we put out... Uh, a book that has wonderful color maps created um, for players and GMs to look at, but we're publishing it in black and white, Simon says, let's put out a folio where the, you can get these maps in color. And so uh, that High Magic and Low Cunning has a map folio attached where the sheets have two versions, one to show the players and one for the game master uh, with all the stuff. Um, I, I think you guys have vetoed my plan to say use... Um, 
on the next book, which is called The Crown Commands, I want to have a little line at the bottom, very small print, saying um, designed for a six millimeter miniature, used for six millimeter miniatures. <laughs> yeah. Is that okay? yeah, so anyway, if you've got six millimeter miniatures, these maps are perfect, but otherwise, <laughs> not quite as good. Um, the Crown Commands is the next book. Um, I'm. I guess two-thirds through the development. I'll probably finish it in a few days after Gen Con um, because my instructions are go home and give us books fast. Um, so uh, that one's pretty much ready to go. It's all for the icons that wear crowns and can tell you to do things. Um, uh, so Lich King, Dwarf King, Elf Queen, and the Emperor. And after that, the next book in that series, the last four icons, I call it... Have you guys allowed me this title? Um, your faith, your faith will set you afire. <laughs> Battle scenes for four icons. Sounds good. Excellent. All right. So those are the the icons. There's some faith involved with who they are. Uh, you know, the priestess, um, the crusader, the diabolist. You know, if you believe in this icon, something might happen to you. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I'm going to definitely, if Cal hasn't put in it already, I'm trying to remember, I'm going to find ways to set you on fire. What about, yeah, the Diabolist will set you on fire. The, dia yes. the Diabolist? Just the Diabolist? Well, all of them. All of them. All right. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Um, that, after that, um, or perhaps before that, um, Ash Law, when I, we originally started thir 13th Age Process... <laughs> So, you know, I have this horrible problem when I'm talking. I'm always, like, I'm so excited. I'm actually kind of a joyful person, but I'm also a little bit Canadian, and I sort of cut myself down a little bit all the time, you know, like introducing Big Trouble Little China and saying, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. six even bag. C Canadians don't cut themselves down. They're just humble. <laughs> I'm Midwestern. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Estonian. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I remember now. You, My you, people have been conquered many times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Um, yeah, know them feels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, Once Upon a Time, Shards of the Broken Sky was the first adventure for 13th Age. It was coming out simultaneously with the core book. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. I did an outline. I like watching your face as I tell the story. And uh, But Ash Law has written it. Oh, stop hitting the table. Uh, Ash Law has written it. Um, and he has now unwritten it in the sense that he has taken the extra 60,000 words out. <laughs> and uh, he, he's written a wonderful art order. And we are going to, and we have an artist who's absolutely excited about Ash's absolutely insane art order. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and have that adventure. For people, I've had some people come up and say that they've loved Eyes of the Stone Thief because it gave them so many rich options to play. And I've been able to tell them, well... Shards of Broken Sky is coming, and although it has a different, um, a different take on how to present the information, it's every bit as much playable information in, in far fewer pages, I think. Um, and so I think it'll be, it'll be really good. Um, we've got other projects that are en route. The Book of Demons is um, uh, your tour guide to Hell Holes. Um, <laughs> all, all are welcome. Few yeah. shall leave. All, all, all the way from one to five star hellholes. So yeah. right, yeah. uh, uh, Gar hasn't seen the art order for the cover, um, but it's going to cover is going to be by uh, Melissa Gay, oh, cool. and it's going to involve the the biggest nastiest demons you put in the hellholes, um, wielding the giant swords with vortexes of energy swirling behind. And I, I really like that stuff. Um, I'm working on revising the demonologist uh, class. Um, basically, 
um, to make, turn it into a giant glass cannon that the more power it uses from its packs, it, it alternates levels of getting, I'm more and more powerful as I cast my spells with then, and now I'm suffering a small problem that I don't care about. <laughs> I'm more and more powerful as I cast my spells. Well, now the, the rest of my allies are suffering a problem that I don't really care about. And I'm more and more powerful than casting my spells. And then, what have I done? <laughs> so that's kind of the, the, the new the play dynamic for the class. Yeah. So, um, so the trick is to multi-class out right after your allies start suffering. <laughs> I will endeavor to make it so that there isn't a single trick that can get you out of it. Right. But but yes, you're correct. A multi-class there there. I am the multi-class section that Gar wrote is multi-classing is the single most mechanical, single most complex mechanical piece of Thirteenth Age design because realistically it wasn't designed with it in mind precisely. And then multi, the demonologist multi-class is something that my brain will process <laughs> later because, uh, yeah, it's a little whacked. Um, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, that's right. Um, there are other 13th Age books underway, including one that is by Wade, but we have not officially announced that uh, yet. So I think I will uh, remain quiet about that. Um, 13th Age and Glorantha from Chaosium is uh, going to... It, when is it going to come out? When the art is done. Um, for a change, I'm not doing the art on that one and being the art director and stuff, so that's that's very much a Moon Design Chaosium project. But the manuscript is finished, um, and I am going home to input the final playtest tweaks. I'm pretty excited about it. If you back, who backed the Kickstarter for that? We are a Pelgrane crowd, and we are strong. Uh, uh, so uh, you can't... <laughs> yes, you did. And so, Gar, you could go... You, soon you'll be able to, to get the final MS Word layout before it goes to... Uh, but you will not have the final product uh, for a while. Because Glorantha cannot be rushed. Um, and, and, uh, and because another project I'm working on stole your artist. <laughs> it... At the moment that I was hearing that the art was being commissioned, what actually was occurring was that the art director was ascertaining that he could not commission the artists. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, so, But uh, your computer game has, I believe, we have released the artists temporarily. Yeah, so now is the time. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to computer game, by the way. Yes. Um, so uh, I guess the main thing I have to address is Cthulhu Confidential, which is the debut product for Gumshoe Wonder One, which is a new iteration of Gumshoe, which is in fact quite different. And as uh, Kat mentioned earlier, uh, it is about uh, play tuned to uh, one GM and one player. Uh, Cthulhu Confidential is so named because the introductory uh, book, which has uh, three different characters in it, uh, all in various ways addresses the noir genre, the hardball detective genre, as well as the uh, Lovecraftian world that we're all familiar with. So uh, there are three characters. The, the character that I wrote, uh, Dex Raymond, uh, is uh, your classic L.A. 1937 detective dealing with uh, the uh, uh, corruption and, and danger of Los Angeles. And uh, it turns out it's Los Angeles is full of uh, psychogeography. It's not difficult to generate horror uh, story hooks based on uh, L.A. Uh, uh, Chris Spivey has written uh, 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 Langston Wright. Wright. I keep wanting to say Langston Hughes, which would be a very different series of investigations. <laughs> uh, Langston Wright, uh, who uh, is an African-American detective who is active in wartime 
uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, dealing with the mythos and uh, the uh, fallout of, the, of, of wartime. And then uh, Ruth Tillman has written uh, Vivian Sinclair, who is a crusading journalist uh, uh, in uh, New York City. And so uh, the thing about Gumshoe One-to-One, which is uh, both a challenge and a brilliant creative opportunity, is that these adventures are tuned for particular characters, and so you can make sure that they not only respond to the abilities of the characters they have, but you can create a, a context around them. At the beginning of play, you uh, customize your take on uh, Langston or Viv or Dex so that the uh, character becomes uh, yours in a way and you decide what problems they have and that changes the shape of the adventure. The structure of uh, play itself is different. The, uh, both the uh, investigative abilities are different and the general abilities are very different in Gumshoe in the way that they are resolved and there's a, a challenge structure with like a three-tier uh, result. It allows you as a scenario designer to uh, uh, sort of tailor what can the the realm of what can happen in the course of solo play, so it eliminates a lot of uh, weird problems that you would have in the more freewheeling structure of a regular gumshoe. Uh, for example, if you don't want to have the historical characters that you encounter killed outside of the timeline that we know, you can structure a challenge so that you know the the bad thing that happens to that character is something other than uh, a death that would set off an alternate timeline. Um, the uh, book is called Cthulhu Confidential. We're aiming for uh, Dragon Meat, i.e. December, November, uh, and it will have uh, the settings and the uh, adventures for those three characters. We'll be following those up, uh, hopefully in really short order, with uh, follow-up adventures because one-to-one, uh, -one, I think even more so than standard gumshoe, really calls for uh, at least a series of really tight models of what those adventures could be because as a solo GM, you are uh, have less to fall back on. You're on more just the way the player is on more. And uh, you have less room to sort of make stuff up as you go along because you're focused on the player all the time. So that means that the mystery has to be really tighter. Another reason the mysteries have to be tighter is that with um, multiple player play, uh, people float so many theories that you can have a great time with the scenario and get to the end and not really have figured out all the loose ends and everything and it doesn't matter, but in solo play you're more focused on what actually happened, so a plot hole is more of a problem uh, so that it's a, it requires tighter uh, scenario writing. And so we're going to have uh, the characters alternate uh, the Dex ones are, are in first draft already and are written, so probably the first one will be Dex, but we want to make sure that we keep all of those characters alive with, uh, uh, first of all, I think they're PDF adventures, and then we'll collect them uh, in a print volume later. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we can do with Gumshoe One-to-One. -one. We had an incredible response in terms of people who want to playtest it. Uh, we have the feeling that it's going to be really big, and there's a ton of different creative opportunities that we can uh take advantage of with that. And Simon, maybe uh, I ran the game uh, online for uh, Ruth and uh, Chris and Kat and Simon. And maybe, Simon, you could talk about the experience of one-to-one -one as a player, because it's actually quite different. Yes, you don't have your friends at the table to <coughs> bounce ideas off at all. Uh, you don't have your friends at the table to bounce ideas off at all. So you are definitely on the whole time, and it, it is an intense experience. Um, and the game does give you 
friendly NPCs so that you can go and uh, go to someone you know you can trust and um, have the same kind of exchange with the NPCs that you might potentially have with, uh, with other players. Uh, the, other, the other thing is that it's, it's much more uh, frightening uh, to play a horror game effectively entirely uh, on your own. Um, and at one point, uh, I was actually stuck without somewhere to go, which in theory is impossible <coughs> with, with gumshoe. So I thought, there's something clearly wrong here. And so I looked down my list of, of uh, uh, leads and contacts, and I found that there was an open lead, but it was with Mickey Cohen, who's like the most fearsome gangster who I had <coughs> accidentally got arrested earlier in the uh, in the game. But I had to go and see him. <coughs> you, you have to put yourself in scary and difficult uh, situations, but you do know that because it's a solo protagonist, you'll go through the whole game, but you will not die during the game, although you could happily get a fatal wound and die at the end. You have well, to perhaps not happily. Yeah. <laughs> Easily, I think. Easily. Yes. yes. And at the end, depending on the problems uh, uh, and edges that you've picked up, you get to narrate what your, uh, uh, what your epilogue is. Um, so yes, that's what it was like for me. And uh, yeah, we discovered that the most terrifying new Cthulhu monster is Mickey Cohen. <laughs> in all of the playtests, people did not want to talk to Mickey Cohen. Um, should I uh, talk about the, the new thing that I'm going to do, or is that a secret? Yeah, uh, So uh, I've written three Dex Adventures. I've written my chunk of the core book, so my uh, work on Gumshoe one-to-one has... Uh, uh, completed for the moment anyway and so now uh, starting this fall I'm going to start working on another core book uh, Yellow King the role playing game so this is a uh, game set uh, in my take on Robert W. Chambers Yellow King mythos uh, it will be uh, there will be no uh, love explicitly Lovecraftian elements in it. You can add the monster. You all know how to add Cthulhu to things, Mm -hmm. so that will still be on the table, but it won't be a Trail of Cthulhu licensed product. It will be its own separate line, Um, and it's inspired not only by Chambers, but by uh, some of the elements in my book of short stories, New Tales of the Yellow Sign, available on Amazon in affordable ebook format. Um, and the idea there is that the yellow sign is fragmented realities to such a degree that uh, you get various alternate timelines spreading out. Like, for example, the 1920s of the suicide machines and the Castain regime that we previously explored in our adaptation of the repairer reputations. Um, and so uh, that's going to continue that timeline. There's sort of a present version of that timeline. Uh, there's also a version more like our familiar timeline that nonetheless has incursions of uh, masked uh, pallid uh, terror and our objective uh, so because there are different periods and realities uh, this is going to the form factor of this is going to be four books reflecting the different times slash settings all together in a slipcase and each one will be designed to match the design style sometimes imaginary of that setting and we're going to be aiming for a Kickstarter uh, sometime in the first half of uh, next year. So uh, that's uh, I'm really excited to get started on that. I'm going to uh, incorporate some of the mechanical elements in uh, Guy and Reach in terms of quick character generation that you put together uh, with elements quickly because you'll be 
uh, playing different characters that are reflections of each other, uh, fragmented through time and space, so you don't have to generate a new character every time you switch modes. Um, and also some of the uh, uh, problem cards and outcomes uh, that are in Gumshoe 1 to 1 are going to be part of its very different take on uh, uh, confront uh, instead of a stability sanity system there's going to be something that's more reflective of the deeper philosophical abyss of the uh, the chambers world uh, so Simon uh, lots of people have talked about lots of things have we forgotten anything that you would like to address fear itself second edition oh right so I think uh, fear itself was the, the second uh, gumshoe book uh, a book uh, focused on personal horror, ordinary people facing terrible things um, and so it's had the same treatment that he's a terrorist has which is to um, have all the knowledge that we've, uh, we've learned over the years on how to run and play Gumshu informed by actual play but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that, that Gar's added to it. Yeah, the main thing I added to Fred's of second edition um, there are uh, I added chapters on how to tweak the game for running one-shots, chapters on how to tweak it for running mini-campaigns, like six or eight sessions, and chapters on running like long-form open-ended campaigns. And there's a sample one-shot, sample uh, mini-campaign, and sample long-form campaign in the book as well, along with like lovely new monsters, like Cuckoo Mother and the Fat Golem. And there's a there is a section in it on um, a new a new way to deal with stability, which yeah. I think is uh, is important. Do you want to remind me because I'm falling asleep here? <laughs> <laughs> um. Sorry, he says <laughs> ostentatiously <laughs> clanking his medals. <laughs> so uh, the different modes of games give different oh, yes. kinds. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he it, uh, offers multiple Sorry. ways of, um, uh, <coughs> or multiple consequences for losing, um, for be, for being shaken or being what's the shattered. Shattered, shattered. yes. Um, instead of the, uh, to you know, multiple ways of describing what happens to your character, and you can sort of tweak those depending on what style of game you want to play. Um, and if you want Fear Itself 2nd Edition, make sure you snap it up because we're probably going to sell out that uh, uh, the stacks are quickly lowering. Uh, so, monsters. So, hideous creatures uh, will be a collection of uh, creatures gathered together from, from KWAS with lots of extra material. Do you want to? KWAS is Ken Writes About Stuff. Yeah. Uh, Every other uh, issue of Ken Writes About Stuff, with one or two exceptions, was a Lovecraftian monster. And the goal of the Hideous Creatures series was to return the Lovecraftian monsters to the state of chaos and no one knows what they mean that they were when Lovecraft wrote them to replace vampires and werewolves, which everyone knew what they meant. And now, of course, you know, 80 years later, we're running into deep ones and going, oh, thank God it's just deep ones. I'm not scared of that. I know how to fight them. Um, and that ruins the whole point of having deep ones. So with every of the Lovecraft monsters, the goal is to sort of start presenting them in other ways. The Hideous Creatures series uh, in KWAS did that. We're going to assemble them into a book, which will I'm pretty sure be just called Hideous Creatures, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, we're going to add a couple more monsters of the ones for the last of the big hitters that we left out of the, that we didn't cover in the KWAS series. Uh, beef up, I think, each of the write-ups with a sort of 
uh, tactical, you know, uh, based on kind of the way in the 13th Age Bestiary where we describe how the monsters might attack you because that's pretty useful information, uh, useful at the table. It, was, it wasn't in KWAS because of word count more than anything else. And then just go back to make sure that we've done every possible variant, weird riff, uh, messed up version of them that we can. Uh, and again, basing a lot of this on the 13th Age Bestiary where you're not just fighting kobolds, you're fighting kobolds who are laying traps, you're fighting kobolds with hang gliders, you're fighting kobold shamans, you're fighting every kind of crazy nonsense thing. So you hear kobolds, you're like, I'm terrified because I have no idea what these kobolds are capable of. We want that same thing, ideally, to be possible with something that ostensibly should be terrifying, like a star vampire. And if those hideous creatures needed something to fight, they might fight the creatures in the 13th Age Bestry too. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay, excellent. <laughs> All right. Nice yeah. segue. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely we're going to do it, and I've been making lists, um, bringing creatures in, figuring out where I'm going to expand things that already have appeared in the 13th Age Monthly, um, recruiting writers, um, and uh, in today's Adventure Design Workshop, uh, I'm sorry, Monster Design Workshop, in creating a monster which will require a very long entry. And uh, so I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be good. Um, I, um, I'm so excited about it that I'm going to have to stay focused on the books I need to finish first. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Well, I don't think the hideous creatures would fight the 13th Age monsters. <laughs> they would get together, have tea, and then they would say, hey, Let's do like a stranger on a train thing. You love crafting masters. Ah. Go attack the 13th Age characters. And you, uh, 13th Age masters, uh, go and attack the, uh, the Cthulhu yeah. investigators. That can't end badly at all. Right. Yeah, I'm sure that'll work. And they'll get in a time. They'll, they'll have to go through time to do it. So uh, I think we've got a, a, a crisis on infinite pelgrims. I think the worst thing is that uh, both uh, Cthulhu City and um, uh, the Castane Empire will be devastated in this conflict. They definitely will. If only there was some sort of um, uh, hyper-competent agents who could get <laughs> 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 all. Exactly. Um, so uh, we have. Uh, this is not so much a Q&A sort of format, but uh, we have maybe time for one or two questions before they come in and force us out of the room. So does anybody have a question about uh, any anything reflecting the state of Pelgrane? Um, as far as Gumshoe 1 to 1 goes, uh, there are many parts of this space to expand that beyond the new Yes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the, the question is: uh, Are there uh, plans to uh, expand one to one beyond the Cthulhu setting? The answer is yes. Absolutely. Uh, we have an embarrassment of riches uh, in that possibility. The just in order to maintain focus, I didn't want to write it as a generic uh, rule set, uh, and, but there's little hints of it in the appendix. For example, there's a sample character for all of the other uh, Gumshoe properties, including Bubble Gumshoe uh, and. Uh, the, you know, and there's all sorts of opportunities to, you know, see. It would be a great format to just do, you know, a standard uh, English parlor uh, mystery, or you know, a straight up kind of, uh, you know, modern day. You could do the, you know, one of the cat solves a mystery subgenre things. You could do just about. It. Well, you could do cat solves a mystery, but I, <laughs> I, meant, I meant in particular the, the the mystery of where's the damn coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Where's the gun coffee? Where's the gun books? There we go. <laughs> well, you've solved uh, that, Mister. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the only problem is, is getting to it fast enough because there's so many possible ways we could go with that. Uh, any other questions? <laughs> Regarding fall of Delta Green. Um, <laughs> yes, uninterested observer in the corner. <laughs> Keenly interested observer. 
so when I hear uh, Shane talk about uh, Delta Green and how um, they are trying to get closer to the actual experience of you know what happens to people in those situations, what kind of trauma do they suffer, how does that affect their lives? Is that going to is is fall also going to have that? deal with that or is it going to be a, a different kind of experience? No, the fall, the goal of fall of Delta Green is to adapt Delta Green to gumshoe mm -hmm. and ideally to make that adaptation interoperable with Trail of Cthulhu or with Night's Black Agents. So you will be able to play these sort of brittle, Stoltzian, coming apart type humans uh, from, from Delta Green and you can, if you wish, then ideally import those mechanics into Trail or into Nice Black Agents. But we are going to cover the different types of trauma, violence, helplessness, and the unnatural. We are going to cover um, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, uh, the, he has sort of the peace hold uh, thresholds that you break down. Um, it, that's going to replace pillars of sanity, for example. Uh, the bonds, you can destroy your relationship with your family in order to stay sane. Uh, and then if you've gone insane anyway on the work, you can get a bond with your with your teammates who pulled you out of it, but again at the expense of your bond with your mom. So uh, the the part where you are slowly grinding your character to shreds uh, is absolutely, it's a core element of Delta Green, uh, and it's going to be in there just like uh, Greg's new lethality damage system is going to be, I think, our probably fourth version of explosives now. Um, so uh, we will be... But that's how you tell subgenres sub apart, by how they handle explosives. Exactly. So uh, the, the goal throughout the book is to port Delta Green to Gumshoe, not to say, well, if you were playing this in Trail, how would it go? Because anyone can do that. Or you can already play Delta Green in Trail. We called it Project Covenant. We put it in the back of the core book, for God's sake. Um, so I think that it's... It's more, it's more interesting and it, it gives us more ability to sort of um, uh, stretch our, our muscles uh, to adapt yet another methodology of, of, uh, of horror and insanity into the gumshoe family so that you have that available. And again, I think that the new uh, stability rules that uh, Gar did for Fear Itself, that's going to wind up getting a look in as well. We're going to be able to, at the very least, have yet another column for his list of possible ways you can smash up. Uh, we have time for uh, one or possibly two more questions. Um, the um, Southern Wonders game, mm -hmm. uh, one of the uh, magical kingdom, is that a single kingdom or are they all from different kingdoms? Oh, um, yeah, so basically it's like, if you, if you think of the children in the Narnia books, yeah, it's yeah. that same kind of concept. So it's like all the whole group of, and it's usually a four-player game, so the whole group of players went to the same place, from oh, the, the so same from magical, the same place, no, they're from the same place, ones, not different ones. ones. Yeah, <laughs> which would be kind of a, an interesting thing, but it's like, well, slightly like, different. Yeah. You'd think yeah. just having a talking lion is bad, the damn furniture <laughs> talk from where I was, Dorothy lighting up another cigarette. So you get Dorothy and Oz, and you get, you know, yeah, exactly. So there's like a really rich, um, a really rich literature of kind of children getting, you know, children going into magical worlds um, and having crazy adventures there. 
um, to, to draw on. And as part of the game, you actually create the kingdom, or I, I keep saying kingdom and I shouldn't, you create the world, the, the magical land that you went into. So you create shared memories of what it was like and um, you, you design what, what the place was like, how it was ruled, what you encountered, the kind of adventures that you had while you were there. So that's part of the, of the game setup process is that you design that world so that you can then bring those elements in during the game. How long does a typical game last? Um, there are about, um, well, When the Dark is Gone, which is the, uh, the Narnia game. I keep calling it the Narnia game. <laughs> the, the not at all Narnia the, game. The, the, the not at all Narnia The game. similar to Narnia similar, store brand. Similar <laughs> to Narnia. Um, create your own Narnia. Um, it, they, that usually lasts about two, two and a half hours. Um, but then the rest of the games kind of tend to be more around the three hours kind of, you know, standard kind of game session okay. thing. Fine. Uh, one more question. Well, actually, I have a question. Ah. Um, can um, if you guys have tickets? <laughs> yes. Can, can you please um, either drop them up here at the end or right? Yeah, don't, don't give us a generic ticket that costs you money, but if you got a ticket for this yeah, event, for this please event, drop it up front. That was that was less a question than a, than a, a, a command, <laughs> but we'll command. we'll allow it. Yeah, That's a cat yeah. question, uh, Steve. <laughs> oh, second edition Trail of Cthulhu. Um, 2018. That's what we're saying at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so can I just quickly ask, how many of you use virtual tabletop uh, to play? <laughs> uh, we've got uh, a 13th age uh, game, Make Your Own Luck, the free RPG day game, now or very soon available on uh, Roll20. So jump into that, play that you know, when, when you get the chance. Uh, there's a Hillfolk bundle of holding currently up on, so go and grab that. And there's a huge list of other things that we've, we've not talked about as well, but we've only got an hour. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for your interest in Polygrain Press. Uh, if you haven't swung by the booth, please do. We're, uh, those of us who have books to sign are more than happy to sign them. And uh, be sure to pick up Fear Itself before it sells out. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.